I grew up in Kansas, don't hold that against me, but, uh, uh, and so everybody usually says, oh, where's Toto? Shut up. Um, the, uh, there's more to Kansas than, than uh, the Wizard of Oz. We do have the largest ball of yarn ever put together, uh-huh, and the largest hand-dug well there in western Kansas. Yeah, figure it out, everybody. Kansas, represent Midwest. Anyway. That's about it. Basketball, March Madness is going on. Basketball was invented in Kansas. You're welcome. Moving on, high school. Went to a couple of different schools and a project that I had in English was writing a report about a very popular novel written by Charles Dickens called The Tale of Two Cities. Anybody had that responsibility growing up in, in, in school, have to read Tale of Two Cities? Yeah, no, many of you are from uh, Texas, so you, I don't know what you, what you read. Remember the Alamo or something, you know? But, um, but you know, uh, there was, you, you, you read this novel set during the French Revolutionary War. Uh, it, it spans, this novel spans about 17 years of history, and there's all kinds of characters threaded throughout, and you've got to keep track of what you're reading. Now, now there's, different, um, there's different books. This may not look like the book you read. Uh, there's different covers. The, the cover of the Tale of Two Cities that I read looked like this um, because it, it was Cliff Notes. Now, for, yes, yeah, somebody said, hey, man, we got all spiritual up in hell. We, 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 you know, for you, uh, teenagers, and we didn't have all Wikipedia and whatnot. Like, we didn't have the, all the interwebs available at the stroke of a Google in order to figure out what was going on or get this paper or get that. So, Cliff Notes, you went to the library or you found them from your friend, you know, uh, at, at the cafeteria and you kind of snuck it with like black market stuff where you'd get the Cliff Notes and you'd, you'd be able to just get the, the, the basics without having to read the whole thing. Uh, so let me give you the Cliff Notes version of just a portion of the story, A Tale of Two Cities. There are two key characters in this part of the story. One guy is the name Charles Darnay. Charles Darnay is an aristocrat of blue blood, of wealth. He's also fighting against the uh, French Revolutionary War, and um, he is uh, accused of being a spy, and, he's, and he is then put in prison, and he's going to be executed for treason. This is a key character. Another character is a guy by the name of Sidney Carter. Now, one is an aristocrat, but Sidney Carter is a disheveled drunk, can't get anything right. He tries to do good, but he spoils it. And here's what's interesting, what brings them two together, two key thoughts. The first is they're both in love with the same girl. The second is they shockingly resemble one another. They're not, they're not blood relatives, but they both look very much alike. They could pass for one another. Well, the story goes that uh, Charles Darnay is placed into prison and is going to be executed. And Sidney Carter, who has tried but failed many, many times, um, attempts one last moment of redemption. And so he goes to visit his lookalike in prison, Charles Darnay. And Sidney, when he gets into the prison cell with Charles, he, uh, he chloroforms Charles, knocks him out, makes him unconscious. And he takes the clothes off of Charles Darnay, Darnay the prison clothes. And Sidney Carter takes his clothes off and dresses Charles. And Sidney puts on the prison clothes and he yells back to the guard. And the guard takes what he thinks is a passed out Sidney Carter, he takes them and they rush him out of the prison and there Sidney Carter, the disheveled drunk, with one last moment of redemption, he awaits for the next day where wearing the clothes of Charles in the prison cell of Charles, he goes downstairs and meets the executioner of Charles, bows his knees at the guillotine, places his head under the blade and he sacrifices his life in one last moment of redemption while Charles goes free to his wife who Sidney loved too and his family and he lives a free life. If there was ever a story that describes the gospel, it was this tale of two cities. 
the worst of times and the best of times. The cross was the best of times for you and me. It was the worst of times for our Savior. At the cross, he put on our clothes. At the cross, Jesus took our prison sentence. At the cross, Jesus took our punishment. At the cross, Jesus dies for you and for me. We have been journeying through seven statements of the cross. Jesus' powerful seven statements that he specifically shared for you and for me that are not wasted, that are not trivial, that have so much depth. Our job is to, like a metal detector, sift through the sand and pick up the gold that is in these words because they are unbelievably valuable words for you and for me. We've talked about the first four statements. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. To a common criminal, assuredly, I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. To his beloved disciple, take care of my mom. Mom, this is your son. Son, this is your mom. Last week, uh, there was just, I just want to say there was just a very, I believe, a precious anointing on our services last week. If you, if you weren't able to hear that message, I'm not trying to stroke an ego here. I just feel like you need to hear last Sunday's message. Um, I know it struck a chord there in Dival and Duncan in both of our services when we talked about the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I, I invite you to go back into our, our records and listen to that on podcast or on Vimeo. Um, today, we come to the fifth statement of Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19 after this all of these things he's been on the cross now for six hours after this Jesus knowing that how many things all things were now accomplished so that the scripture might be fulfilled said I thirst simple words I thirst so in response a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. We don't know how long it was there. We don't know if it had been out in the sun for days, if it was brought to the crucifixion during that time. They filled a sponge with sour wine, and they put it on a hyssop branch, basically, and they put it to his mouth. Let's pray. What simplistic words from our Savior. But Jesus, may we see through the window of these words see you, hear from you, learn from you in this moment. Speak so clearly that by the time we leave today, we'll say one to another, today I've heard from God. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen. Can you remember back to a time that you were at your thirstiest, that you were unbelievably thirsty. What's that moment? The thirstiest you've ever been on a road trip, a long walk, a marathon. For those of you You can get so thirsty, it's hard to think about anything else. 
was so slow. They were putting away the drink stations when I was on mile 12 out of 13. There's nothing like lovely just to drink. <laughs> of course, this may not do anything for you because of the culture we live in. So maybe it's more of a Coke Zero for you. All of that for a simple illustration. <laughs> Your body is made of 60 plus percent water. Your brain has 70 plus percent water. I mean, it's basically like your neck is like a toothpick holding up a watermelon, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> sloshing around. You know what I think would be horrible is if you were surrounded by water you couldn't drink, like Louis Zamperini in the, in the movie Unbroken, based during one of the world, world wars, they are stranded in the middle of the ocean on a boat with very little rations and they only have like one chocolate bar left and a few little water pouches and in the middle of the night on the first night one of the guys eats all the chocolate he must have had ambient and was eating without knowing it and uh, he they wake up and like they're they have no rash 40 some days they are stranded and they have to figure out how to catch rain when it when it falls and hold that and stay alive. They're surrounded by water they can't drink. The earth is covered with 75% water and only 1% of it is drinkable. Um, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And I want you to know something about the word of God, that there, the words of Jesus are never wasted. Nothing is wasted in scripture. This is not just a happenstance. This is not just a, you know, a thought that the author might just put in there. There's power behind the words of the Bible. This isn't two words that Jesus says in his own language. He would have said the word dipso. Dipso. I am thirsty. And here we see that Jesus should be thirsty. Uh, the, 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 the crucifixion is death by suffocation. And it is marked by incredible dehydration. Uh, they basically become thirsty. They, they are there on the cross, out in the sun. They have nothing to drink. They're suffocating. They're dehydrated. But I want you to think about how dehydrated Jesus would have been by this point. When you begin to rewind the story to the Last Supper, in that Last Supper, Jesus is saying, I, I, when, you, when, you take when you take the juice and you take the, the bread, think about me. Think about I think of do it in remembrance of me. They were doing it in the remembrance of being exodus from Egypt. But he's saying, no, I'm exodusing you from sin. Do this in remembrance of, of me. I'm the Passover lamb. But then once he leaves the Last Supper, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's no indication that they brought water with them. Jesus is praying by himself. He's invited three to go deeper into the garden with him. And he is so overcome with stress and, and physical, uh, physical, emotional turmoil that the, the medical word for sweating droplets of blood is hematidrosis, hematidrosis, where blood capillaries will break and that blood spills into the sweat glands of someone's body and it seeps out of their pores and it gives this understanding of, of sweating droplets of blood. So already he's sweating, he is becoming dehydrated. Then he is arrested and he goes through the entire night, uh, six different trials from Annas to Caiaphas 
to the Sanhedrin, to Pilate, to Herod, and then back to Pilate for the final sentencing. Probably there was nobody in line. Peter couldn't even come close. He denied him. The disciples split. They ran. They were afraid they would be next and arrested just like he was. So there was nobody next to him saying, hey, can I get you anything? Hey, do you need, do you need some water? All through the night, he is being accused of things he was not guilty of. Then through that trial, his back is unbelievably beaten with a whip. Spilling more blood, becoming more dehydrated. Then a crown of thorns is placed on his head. Nothing, nothing seems to bleed like a, like a head wound. Do you know what I mean? Years ago, I was living in, in one of our parsonages on our campus, and I was cleaning something on the outside of a window, and I'd open it up. It was a metal window, and I, and I lunged up real quick, and I hit the edge of that window on my head and just split my scalp wide open. And like some kind of scene out of the movie Carrie, like blood was just, whoa. And I walk into the house, and Janet's like, ah, passes out in the kitchen. She didn't, but she just started screaming and speaking in tongues, and she ran outside. I didn't even know where she went. She just ran outside. I'm in the bathroom, just blood everywhere, like, like I just got attacked. And here comes uh, our, my predecessor, Andy and Kathy Saligate. They come bursting. Are you okay? Like it was a cut, but it, 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 was, it looked a lot worse than it was. And they're, they're all coming in praying for me. I was like, it's okay. It's okay. But man, it was, it was nasty. It was, it was yucky. Just imagine then a crown of thorns. Um, pressed down by these relentless soldiers, mocking soldiers. Then he's taken to Golgotha, Cranion, Calvary, all means skull, and he has nails placed in his hands and feet and blood flows, and he is suspended by a trio of nails from then until we hear these words for six hours. That six hours, he gives us those first four statements. And here we come to this moment where we see Jesus is thirsty. You know, it's not, it's not that he wasn't offered something to drink. In fact, in the book of Matthew, uh, it, was, it was custom for the Romans to offer a drink to those being crucified. We read it in Matthew chapter 27. There they, the soldiers, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. This is a different drink than the sour wine. The sour wine was simply just sour. But there was a bitterness to this component that made Jesus know this wasn't just normal. This was, a, this was like a numbing agent. It is uh, typical for the Romans to offer a drink that would basically numb the senses to get this crucifixion over with more quickly. And I want, you to, I want you to get this, everybody. Jesus refused to allow his senses to be numbed. He needed all his faculties. He needed to have his mind clear because he wanted to say something to you and to me. He wanted to leave no stone unturned, no word unsaid. So he goes without the painkiller and takes on pain you and I could not imagine, along with all the sin of the world. And here we get to this moment. It's the first time he's talked about really um, anything physical. And he says, I'm thirsty. So the question I want to ask you today is, why is Jesus being thirsty so important. Does it matter? Is it just another thought? I'm going to give you just a few, five reasons why Jesus being thirsty is very important for March 31st, 2019, and for you and for me. The first one is this. Why is Jesus being thirsty so important? Because he was human as we are. He was not 50% God and 50% man. That's Greek mythology. That's, that's Hercules, where, where a god would have intercourse with a, a, a human, and the result would be a baby, 50% god and 50% man. The miracle is God was 100% man and 100% divine. 
and we see this through the Gospels. We see this paradox of how can you be all God and all man at the same time? But we see it unroll, unravel before our very eyes through all the stories of Jesus. We see the human and the divine. We see, we see as Jesus comes to earth from heaven, he's born in a barn. Human, normal, lower than normal circumstances. No room at the inn. No, 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 no silk cloth. No golden, golden throne, golden bassinet. He's human. He's born in a barn, but he's divine. Because in that same night, angels burst into full song in the mid-eastern sky, announcing glory to God in the highest heavens. He's completely human. He sleeps in a boat. He's tired. He had been working all day. And the Messiah got sleepy. The Messiah sleeps. The Messiah needs to take a nap. What? And he's in the, he's in the bowels of the boat trying to get his rim cycle going and the disciples experience a storm that brews and begins to toss the toss the sea and he is like he's like trying to wake up your your 14 year old you know on saturday morning when you got to go early and they just like they're almost dead and you're trying to wake those suckers up just me okay He's asleep in the boat, and the disciples say, don't you even care that we're drowning? We see the humanity, that, that his body was tired, but the divine, he, he wakes up and he calms the wind and waves. He's so human. He, he has sisters of one of his best friends, and his best friend dies, and he's been dead for four days. And he gets and he sees the emotions, and hears the emotions, and hears the stories of Mary and Martha, and he cries alongside them. He weeps with them and then he steps out and prays and says the name Lazarus come forth and he raises the dead in his divinity and here we see on the cross on the cross divine words where he says I'm going to promise you heaven to a common criminal to a thief assuredly I say to you today you can be with me in paradise you can't you can't promise heaven for anybody but the divine son of God can and then a few moments later, he says, take care of my mom. You know, he was in the belly of Mary. Placenta, water sack, umbilical cord. He was a human baby birthed from Mary. Promising heaven. Talking to his mama. And he's paying for the sins of the world in a divine way that you and I still can't quite comprehend in our human minds until we're face to face with him in heaven and in his humanity as he's paying for the sins as 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 all of the iniquity all of the sin of the world he bears on his shoulders in that moment of the cross his humanity says i'm thirsty why why does he show the humanity and the divinity the author of hebrews gives us gives us an understanding of why. Here's, here's, the, here's the why behind the what. The author of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. On the contrary, our high priest knows everything we have ever gone through, understands our pain. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When George H. Bush was up for re-election and Bill Clinton was uh, uh, his opponent there, and we know how that turned out, there was this interview that began to turn. They, they, they say that, that there was this disconnect that George H. had, that, that they were, he was interviewed and they said, do you know how much a gallon of milk costs? And he, and, and he, he's, he didn't know. I was watching a, a show the other day, and uh, I believe it was Ellen, and, and uh, Bill Gates was on there. And they're saying, do you know, and they, 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 they put a Tide Pods. Anybody use Tide Pods? They said, do you know how much Tide Pods cost? And Bill Gates says, ah, $4, $5. And everybody went, because <laughs> it's like 742 bucks for a box of Tide Pods. It's stupid. He was disconnected from reality, but then Bill Clinton came in and said, I'll feel your pain. I'll feel your pain. And there was this relational connectivity that Bill Clinton had and 
this just like likability. I feel your pain. I did not have. Anyway, I'm not going to go. <laughs> Listen, when you're hurting, he hurt. You're thirsty. Something you just can't quench. He knows. You're tempted. He was tempted. The difference is when you're tempted, you're not always perfect. He was tempted. He was sinless. He bore our sin. He knows what humanity goes through because he was completely human while also being completely divine. He was human as we are. So that when you have someone in your life that says, I know what you're going through, and you know they don't, when Jesus says, I know what you're going through, he does. Why is Jesus being thirsty so important? Number two, because of this, we never need to be thirsty again. Because of what Jesus accomplished, because of who he was and is and is to come, we don't ever need to be thirsty again. I, I don't mean physical thirst. I, pro I provided people water at the doors today because after doing that little thing, I knew somebody was going to have to get up and go get a drink. Cafe Aroma sales went right up in the middle of my message because of pouring some water. You know, we get thirsty physically, but we also get thirsty spiritually. And there is that spiritual thirst that only Jesus can, can quench. We see it in the story of Jesus taking a, a detour through a foreign area of, of the Middle East into Samaria. And he takes this little trip to a well, and there he finds a woman. What's beautiful about this is, number one, Samaria was looked down upon. There was a major prejudice, a, a racism against Samaria and any Samaritan. It, 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 that is a age-old issue that every culture faces. Prejudice and racism. Not only was there a Samaritan, there was a Samaritan woman, and, and a woman in that age was not even considered part of society, uh, was just a need for reproduction and other things in the home. And so Jesus comes in and, and he, raises, he raises the awareness and value of children. He raises the awareness and value of women. He, race, he raises the awareness and value of all people. Like Jesus is the answer to the issues we have. Not any amount of legislation is ever going to fix our issues. Only Jesus can fix our issues from the inside out. And here we are with what should be a block because of who she is and what she is. And Jesus has the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has in the Gospels with a woman he would never be talking to and a Samaritan who is supposed to be hated. What does that say? Jesus takes time for those that are forgotten. Takes time for those who should be heard that are not. And she's talking to him and he's talking to her and she's by herself at the well. She's gone through some spiritual thirst. And, and here, here's basically what he says. You know what? I, I've come to give you living water. He goes, she goes, man, can I have some of that? And, and he begins to talk about her relationships. And she goes, yeah, um, I, I, I'm not married. And, and, and he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. The, you're with a man, um, but the man you're with is not your husband. Uh, in fact, you've had several husbands. And, and, and you, what are we, what, what's going on here? What's behind the scenes? She's been trying to quench her thirst with a relationship that just can't get right. And it's been one marriage after the next. And now she doesn't even know whether to commit or not. And I, and I want to say something here that's a little practical theological advice for all of us, okay? When, when we say, you know what, we're married in God's eyes, because maybe, maybe you're here and you're living that way. Um, and, and you, well, we're, we're, we're together. We haven't really gotten married, but we're married in God's eyes. I want you to know that this moment, this gives us an indication of how Jesus values a, a public proclamation and a covenant ceremony. Because Jesus doesn't say, yeah, the husband you're with right now. He says, the man you're with right now is not your husband. So what this does is it gives us a little sneak peek into how Jesus values doing things Jesus' way. And I, and I want you to know that in, a, in a next month, not well, it's, it's March 31st, May, we call marriage month around here. 
May is marriage month. Whoop, whoop. Yes, I, thank you. A spiritual, give me a spiritual whoop, whoop. And uh, <laughs> I was kidding. I didn't. And uh, May is marriage month. And um, on Wednesday nights during marriage month, uh, we have some guest speakers. We talk about marriage. We, we dive a little deeper. Into, and you know what we're doing? We're providing the very last Wednesday of May a free wedding night. For those of you that would, would like to get married, you have to go through a process with us. You have to agree to our covenant understanding of, of marriages between a man and a woman. You have to uh, go through the premarital moment and premarital counseling stuff that we'll have available. You have to buy your own marriage license. But we're going to provide a wedding. I mean, we're going to do. We're going to decorate this place. You're going to invite your friends. We're going to fill this place. We're going to have several uh, uh, couples up here that get married. Um, you know, if, if you are wanting to get married and, and you have not, or if you're living together, you say, man, this is the right time for us to get married now. We want to invite you to go through this process and we are going to celebrate and then we'll have cake, like good cake, like not just like, you know, zebra cakes. We're going to have good cake and punch. We will not have an open bar because <laughs> um, that's not what we do here uh, as on your own dime, fella. But, but what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the covenant of marriage, and we invite you that if, if, that, if that applies to you, um, come talk to us. Uh, we, we'd love to celebrate that with you and give you some invites, and you can bring your friends. It's going to be fabulous. Why am I saying all this? Because in that moment, Jesus gives this woman who is thirsty spiritually water so she doesn't have to thirst again in her heart. She will always come back to the well for physical water, and so will you. But you don't have to, thir you don't have to, and I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. The, the, the water of this world will never satisfy you. In fact, you could write it down like this. If Jesus isn't enough for you, nothing on this earth will ever be other. The person who says one last hit of heroin and I'm done. The chances are that one last drink won't satisfy one last drink and then I'm done and we become thirsty again one last look at the porn and I'm then I'm just nothing else and yet we become thirsty because the things of this world will never satisfy they may numb you but Jesus said you know what let me show you a model don't try and go through life numbing yourself. I'm enough. I'm enough. Jesus is enough. You don't have to numb your senses. You don't have to have the high. You got a prescription for something? Take it. Your doctor says do this? Do it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't read into what I'm saying. You got you, you to gotta take something because you, you, whatever. But I'm saying you don't have to just every single weekend when it's TGIF, I can't wait to get home and pour me a glass or take this or do that because I've just got to relax and chill out. Jesus can be enough. And I want to invite you. I'm not, I'm not saying throw out everything. I'm saying to you, though, be quick. That what you go to first is Jesus. No matter what it is, what you go to first is Jesus. If Jesus isn't enough for you, nothing ever will be enough. And as I mentioned last week, that there were shadows of what the Messiah would look like. And Jesus was not the shadow. He was the substance. He was the fulfillment of the law. And part of the law, we're celebrating these festivals. And there's this one festival that Jesus attends in John chapter 7. And, and at the festival, what would be happening during this, this, this special celebration is the high priest would be pouring water over an altar as part of this shindig. And towards the end of this celebration, can you see it in your mind? that Jesus attends and as the high priest is pouring water, here's what happens. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Can you see it in your mind as the high priest is showing the shadow of a quenching of the water on the altar of everything that we surrender towards, that Jesus is yelling beyond the celebration, I'm the one that will pour out the water that you need. 
That's Jesus. He goes on to say, uh, uh, come to me who is thirsty. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Can I say something to you, everybody? One drink and you're saved. You don't have to drink the whole gallon. One sip of the living water and you're saved. One sip. But Jesus provides more than one sip. He provides living water that flows from him. And I want you to know that there are some of us that you have been satisfied with just a on Sunday. And you come in, you come in and I'm glad that you're here. That you take a little sip and then you get through your week. But Jesus provides more than a sip for you. He provides living water every single day. So when you, when you feel dry, he's available. That you wake up in the morning and you drink of the goodness of God. That through your day, you don't just pray, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for his food, amen. Do you know why we should pray over our meals? It's not because we got to truly ask him to bless it. It's blessed, get over it. But man, use that moment to just take a sip. Of the goodness of God. Father, we're going to have lunch today. We're reminded of how much you provide for us. Where would we be without you? Amen. Pass the salsa. <laughs> I wonder how many of us are living dehydrated spiritually. The problem with dehydration is you don't know you're dehydrated until it's a little too late. You got to stay. You got to stay <laughs> sipping that water. You got so many people would be able to go through so many more things had they not been going through it spiritually dehydrated. And the living water is available, and you don't have to wait on Sunday. He makes it available by the cross. You can drink any moment of any day. We have full access to the living water of God, everybody. Access today, right now, tomorrow, at Thursday at 2 p.m. Friday morning around the proverbial water cooler when Sally won't shut up. Jesus, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sip your word. I'm not going to say whatever to Sally. Moving on. Number three. Everybody, everybody getting something this morning? I may just be getting stuff off my chest. Who knows? But... Uh, you need to get this in your spirit. I, I, I do too. I do too. Why is Jesus being thirsty so important? Because of what we're called to do. Whew. What kind of privilege would it be if Jesus decided for a moment today that not just the spirit of Jesus be in this room, but that the, the center doors would open. And Jesus, the son of God, in the flesh would walk down this middle aisle and take these steps. I would hand the microphone to him and step back and probably just sit right here. And there wouldn't be a sound. There wouldn't be a movement. Nobody would be thinking about chilies and nobody would be thinking about something else. We would be glued. And in the middle of his speaking, if Jesus looked to you and said, would you go get me a drink of water real quick? I'm thirsty. That'd be a pretty cool honor, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty great, wouldn't it, if, if Jesus said, could you go get me a water? If he looked at me right here and said, would you go get me water? I'd go, <laughs> and I mean like roadrunner, beep, beep jump off this thing. Man, I want to tell you, I have had back and knee issues since last week's second service. Jumping off this stage, moving around. I had had too much five-hour energy, everybody. Picking up old Stephen Courtney, carrying him around, doing a squat. Yeah. I got my, I got my year-long <laughs> fitness regimen down on last Sunday. And I'm hurting still because of it. But I would jump off this stage, I would go grab a Dasani, and I would bring, uh, no, uh, uh, I would grab a Fiji water. <laughs> I'd grab a Fiji square bottle water, 
I'd bring it over here. I'd hand it to Jesus, and I'd say, hey, hey, hey. And we'd take a selfie together. Click Instagram. Just another Sunday, giving the Savior some drink. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag honored. Hashtag humble. Hashtag Fiji water. Hashtag why is it so expensive? I got to wrap up. Wouldn't it be an honor? Wouldn't you remember that? Wouldn't you tell that story to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids? I just want to tell you that Jesus has already said that I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You don't have to wait for Jesus to show up in the flesh and church every single time you take care of someone that somebody else has forgotten. Dieball and Duncan, I want you to know the reason we're out there is because Jesus says you're important. Jesus says you ought not be forgotten. Jesus says you're valuable. Jesus says, yeah, you messed up. Maybe you deserve exactly what you're getting right now, but he says you are not been forgotten. And every time we do something together with our church family there in the prison system, it's like we're kissing Jesus on the cheek. And that's what God's called us to do. And do not wait for the church to activate this. you got plenty of stuff out there to do on your own. Make a difference. Give Jesus a drink by serving the least of these. Give him a drink. Number four, he's thirsty because scripture set the pace for his life. Let's go back to that scripture. He says, after this, in other words, after this, this payment, after this atonement, after this Passover lamb is being sacrificed and all of these scriptures are being fulfilled, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, all the important things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said. Like, don't you think he could have gotten away with this one little thing? Scripture set the pace for his life. He was not going to leave a single T uncrossed. Because 600 years earlier, in a messianic prophecy there in the book of Psalms, the 69th chapter, as they're declaring different messianic prophecies. They don't even know what they're doing, but it becomes a prophecy about what the Messiah would do, who the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would go through. We have this little verse in verse 21, and the psalmist says, they offer me sour wine for my thirst. And Jesus on the cross, having endured all of this, having chosen to say no to the wine mixed with gall, so that he can drink the sour wine, so that he fulfills the words of God. If he was that passionate about the word, you should be too. If he was that particular about following the word of God, you should be too. But in today's day and age, the word of God is under attack and that's nothing new, don't be surprised. The very first thing we hear the enemy, the devil himself in the garden say, he asked Adam and Eve, did God really say? It is the age old question of the devil. He is the accuser. Okay, that's his name, the accuser. Satan means accuser of the brethren. Like, you know, left-handed Timmy isn't right-handed. You don't. Left-handed Timmy is probably, guess what, left-handed, because that's his nickname. Satan, his nickname is accuser. It's what he does. And he accuses, did God really say this? And it's been the age-old challenge of really trusting whether God said it or not. And in today's day and age, it's easy just to say, now, that, that, that makes sense back then, but that's not for me. Let me give you a, a challenge today to live by. When you find something you don't agree with in God's word, you change your mind. You change your mind. We spend so much energy trying to figure out how to disprove what God said. It's not going to happen. You can have all kinds of different opinions about all kinds of different people who basically want the Bible to agree with them. 
Do you know what happens when the Bible, the Bible is changed to agree with everything we think and feel? We become God. We become God. We become the last word. We become the final verdict. And that's not how it operates. He's the final verdict. He's the, he's the final voice. And we surrender what we don't even understand in everything in our life. We change our mind about something and we surrender to it and we have to trust that Jesus knows better than we do on this particular thing because he is the son of the living God of the cosmos. Scripture set the pace for his life and I invite you to let scripture set your pace as well. Finally, number five, because of what he had just gone through, it was important that he was thirsty. In this moment, he has carried the weight of the sin of the world. He has literally gone through hell on earth. He has this moment of forsakenness, this disconnected separation from God. Jesus gives us an example, a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man ignored Lazarus. The rich man lived his own life. And that rich man died and went to hell. And Lazarus died and was a God-honoring uh, man and he went to paradise and in this story Jesus describes that the rich man is in hell and and it's it's terrible and it's ash and it's 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 uh, fire and brimstone and and and, and, it, 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 and the rich man just he says over this great divide Lazarus God could you just get Lazarus come over here and 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 put a drop not even a drink a drop of water on my tongue Hell leaves you thirsty. Heaven, you never thirst again. And what makes heaven heaven is not the geography. It, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the golden streets or the pearly gates. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. Jesus in the last book of the last chapter of the last book in one of the last verses of our entire Bible at the very last page of scripture, Jesus gives us this statement. He says, let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That's his gift. And he thirsted because he was completely human. quenches your spiritual thirst because he is completely God. Shadows and substance, I end with this little story of a shadow in the book of Exodus. The Israelites had escaped the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh. They had crossed the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness. They were thirsty. And they come across this place of water a place called Mara. And they went to drink, but the water was, was poisonous. The water was bitter. There was, some, there was something wrong with the water. And, and God, God gives direction to the Israelites. He said, go cut down a piece of tree, throw the tree in the water, and then you can drink. There's an old children's song we learned when I was in kids' church bitter water wasn't Mara. The bitter water was no good. No good. But the bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood. The bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood. And I want you to know you and I in this culture are surrounded by water that you ought not drink. It's bitter water. But God himself takes a tree with Jesus on locations, heads bowed, eyes closed. Two things, two responses today. The first response, friend, you're here and you're thirsty and you've been trying to quench your thirst, but things, 
that will not satisfy and you need Jesus, you need to bow a knee to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you save me today? I surrender to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. I need you to be the center of my life. I don't want to figure this out on my own. I surrender to you today. If that's you for the first time or the first time in a long time and you need to surrender to Jesus this morning, right where you are, all locations, just put a hand straight up in the air. I need to surrender today. No more doing it on my own. I'm tired of being thirsty. I need Jesus. All across the room, hands raised. You can put your hands down. In your own words, you say, Jesus, I surrender. Be my God. I want you to be enough for me. I give you my life. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for making this moment available that I can leave things right where they are. I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, heads bowed, eyes closed, you're here and you feel dry. You feel dry. You love Jesus, but you're dry. I'm going to invite you to, to take a little bit you to know everybody I'm the first to stand because I've experienced dryness Jesus fill Jesus pour out Jesus be enough Jesus be enough God may we surrender the charade may we surrender the masks and may you fill us up now would everybody stand would everybody stand Father we thank you that you are here to respond to the needs. Friends, before we move, reach out to him. Take the living water. Let anyone who is thirsty come. You're here. Now open your heart to receive all that Jesus has for you today. He wants to wash away. He wants to quench the thirst. He wants to cleanse something that's been, that's been damaged. He wants to repair something that's been broken. Let him do that in this moment. Just reach out to him today and allow him to pour into you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, fill us up so that we may be poured out. So that we may be filled up to be poured out. So that we may be filled up to be poured out. That rivers of living water promised by you through the Holy Spirit would be active in our life, flowing through us. No stagnant water here today, Jesus. Stir us up, fill us up, and pour us out in Jesus' name.